This is the Frog for Life podcast. I'm your host, Rob Berline. Because I think we have a faculty here who um, have managed to meld the idea that teaching is a profession, but is also an art and a science. And a lot of people on this campus who teach do it very, very well. That is the voice of TCU Provost Noel Donovan. We caught up with Provost Donovan in his office to reflect on his 33-year career at TCU before he retires from his current role at the end of this academic year. You got your education and grew up in Scotland. Yes. Um, talk about your education forming there and then coming to the U.S. Uh, to start your, your professional oh, okay. career. Well, you know, so. It's a different system over there, undoubtedly. Um, I was very fortunate um, in that um, I knew what I wanted to major in at the age of 11. And it it all happened because my dad um, and I went on a little trip up the coast from the town we were staying in, a place called Montrose Mm -hmm. in Scotland. And there's a wonderful castle there called Dermotty Castle, complete ruin amazingly romantic place on giant cliffs and I was actually fascinated by the rocks that the castle sat on because they were composed of boulders it's a rock we now I now call conglomerate um, and basically on the way I, I was just fascinated with this and on the way back we were on a bus because we didn't have a car in those days um, my dad said uh, I said to my dad what um, what are people called who study rocks? And he said, geologists. So I said, okay, I want to be a geologist. <laughs> so that, that was, you know, I, I was fortunate because all through my British equivalent of high school, I knew what I wanted to do. And I, I chose courses accordingly. So, I, you know, I did things like geography, chemistry, biology, physics, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. all of which are essential backgrounds for, for geology. Um, my dad reciprocated my interest by, um, I think it was my, it's for Christmas when I was 11 years old. He bought me four geology texts, all of which were university level texts. I haven't got a chance of understanding what they're talking about. But they had pictures of fossils and things like that, and I've still got them. You know, so um, it must have meant something to me. But my dad was typically optimistic. He obviously thought my brain could just absorb you know, stuff. <laughs> you know, you know, and, seconds flat. Um, so I, I went on eventually um, to university and university there, um, when I went, only 10% of the population actually went to university and um, even more lamentably only 8% of the population of students was female, which is young, very bad for young men. <laughs> Not bad for the 8, 8% girls, but you know. <laughs> For the, for the young man, it was uh, interesting. Um, and I, I majored in, in geology um, and took enough courses that in this country it would account as a minor in botany. Um, and then I went on straight to do a PhD. You, you don't do a master's, you just go straight into a mm-hmm. PhD program. And I worked on rocks in northern Scotland. And after, when I'd got my doctorate, um, I was offered a position as a demonstrator 
which is really the same as an instructor. It just sounds more glamorous to be thought of as a demonstrator. You know, what was I demonstrating against? Mm -hmm. And um, then my big break occurred when um, a company based out of Tulsa called Erico, E-R-I-C-O, um, got involved in working with the, the majors, trying to explain the geology of the North Sea, because it was just when North Sea oil production was beginning, and it was realized this was a giant field. And so um, this company, Erico, realized that um, British geologists knew nothing about how to get oil out of the ground, but they knew all about the geology. And American oil companies knew all about how to get oil out of the ground, but nothing about the geology. <laughs> so there's a gap. And um, they saw an opportunity there. And so I was asked um, on a consulting basis to, to work um, with them, um, with Erico, and produce a report on a, on a particular geological system. And it just so happened it was the system that I'd been working on for my doctorate. So it was a perfect choice. And um, went marching on. <laughs> And um, oh, it probably took him a couple of years to do this this work. I was still employed as a demonstrator, but the demonstrator position was um, going to end eventually. Um, and there were no tenure track openings available for anyone in any geology department in a in a nation. It was just flat, dead flat, um, and the country was in in severe economic distress, and so. One of the men who was in charge of the Erico project um, liked my work. He said, would you like a job in Stillwater, Oklahoma, at Oklahoma State? <laughs> well, I knew nothing about where it was. I mean, I knew where Oklahoma was, but I knew nothing about Stillwater or Oklahoma State. And so I thought about it for a while. I thought, you know, if I'm going to make anything of my life, I need to get out of this country. That's the UK, because it's going nowhere. Mm -hmm. And um, so I said yes. And so I became a visiting assistant professor at Oklahoma State, which was a major, major culture shock. <laughs> you know, I've, I've told the story quite a bit, but I, I um, left Newcastle on Tyne, which is the university I was at, at about 4 a.m. and I was wearing a t-shirt, a thick woolen polo neck sweater, a thick claret red um, corduroy jacket and a raincoat. And when I arrived in Tulsa, 10.30 at night, something like that, um, temperature was nearly 100. <laughs> and I didn't realize people lived in temperatures like that, you know, and they certainly didn't dress in temperatures like that. So I, and uh, I thought, I better go home. But then I thought, no, I've burnt all my bridges. I've got to go here because I've got to get some money. Mm -hmm. I mean, to live, you know, so. So I, I turned up in, in the geology department in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Um, they hadn't really got a place for me, so I got an office in the engineering building, you know, a quarter of a mile away from geology. <laughs> okay, out of sight, out of mind. Everyone was very nice and kind. I mean, no, no question about that. The hospitality was great. Um, and so I stuck around and realized I could do something, and I happened to meet with a good pack of graduate students and the like, you know, so it'd be, I was young enough then that graduate students were my natural um, cluster group rather than old faculty. And um, so I stayed and they were pleased with me, said, oh yeah, 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 can you stay, you know, we want you to give you tenure and all the rest of it. 
So I became a tenure track faculty member and um, they moved me from engineering to a building called the Dairy Building. Well, Oklahoma State, you know, is full of mm -hmm. agriculture. Um, and um, so downstairs they made milk or they processed milk. Upstairs I looked at rocks. It was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. There's some odd smells from time to time. You know? um, and then I, I went through the ranks there. I kind of um, became um, an associate professor and then um, after a few years a full professor. And, you know, everything was going fine. And then I had this amazing um, bit of good luck. Um, I work a lot in southern Oklahoma, in the Wichita Mountain area. And I'd been at a geological conference explaining this work. And there was a young man from TCU called David Lambert, who's now in Australia. Um, but David was very impressed with the field trip I led. And um, said, could you give me the names of the landowners? Because I'd like to take TCU students to see these rocks. So I thought about it. I said, yeah, yeah I'll tell you what, I'll come down and lead your trip. So I drove down from Stillwater, he drove up from Fort Worth, it's about mm -hmm. the same distance. And um, I led this field trip, and that's when I first met frogs, you know. And they were good students, mm -hmm. attentive students. They had a good few professors with them, so I was, um, I was able to show them quite a lot of stuff that they'd never seen before, you know, mm -hmm. that stuff. And, um, the next week I was down doing real field work, my work, and I came across this brand new hammer. I thought, hmm, I know who's that has to be. It has to be someone from TCU. So I packaged the hammer up and sent it off to TCU. And they were very pleased with that. The young lady whose hammer it was wrote me this exquisite note um, of thanks. And then the next thing I knew after that, I, got an I was asked if I'd come down and give a lecture. So I did. And actually this lecture was also um, auditioning for a, an endowed chair in geology um, given by the Moncrief family, Ooh. Charles Moncrief. And so um, all of a sudden I was contemplating leaving Stillwater and coming to Fort Worth. And so um, that's what we did. I mean, they offered me the chair and, and I said, okay, yeah, mm -hmm. I'll come down. I, it was a good move. I mean, I doubled my salary, you know, that's kind of, <laughs> which is <laughs> not a bad thing to do. Um, Having said that, it's all relative with inflation involved. You know, the mm -hmm. salary I was offered is less than the salary would offer a starting professor nowadays. <laughs> Even though it's an endowed chair and supposed to be very prestigious, you know, inflation has had its impact. Um, came down here and settled in, and by which time I had um, acquired a wife who originally came from Paducah, Oklahoma, uh, Paducah, Texas. So I took her back to Texas from Oklahoma, and we had two children, two girls, and um, settled in to performing at TCU, you know, which I, I did for some years. Um, and I got interested in the future of the university, you know, the university system in the United States, and, and basically, yeah, okay, I'll work hard on this. And I, I began to enjoy some aspects of administration, so I became department chair and um, then we started to work on the Monig Gallery to, to open that, you know, so I was in the middle of all that. And then um, I became chair of the Faculty Senate, 
And so in the year after I was chair of the Faculty Senate, I was on what's called the Senate Executive Committee. And I was asked to sit on a committee to choose um, the next chancellor, or not to choose the next chancellor, but to um, suggest to the trustees three names of people who could be chancellors of TCU. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it was an eventful thing. And, and of course, the person we came up with was Victor Bashini. And um, there were two other names as well, so we gave those to the trustees. And then um, these individuals were invited um, down um, for um, interview. And um, Victor, the present chancellor, um, impressed me because one of the things I liked about him is he wasn't in for any other jobs. He wanted to come to TCU. And I sort of asked him about this and he had hired a personal coach because he was unhappy the way his wife life was going in Illinois. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he wasn't actually fe feeling like he was hitting his true potential there. And it was a state school he was at and a minor state school in, in the Illinois um, pantheon. And so this coach, they worked out with this coach and they worked out he needed a modest sized private um, university and preferably in the south because he doesn't like cold weather. <laughs> and so this was a job that came up and he applied for it wholeheartedly. Now the, the other folk who were in the, in the pool were excellent people, but they were in for other jobs as well. Mm. You know, so they were just looking for a presidency, a chancellorship somewhere, whereas Victor was focused on TCU. Mm. And eventually he got it. And um, I know um, he came and there was um, Mick Ferrari and Victor Bashini, so they called themselves Mick and Vic, and sort of walked around the university. Mick was showing Vic stuff, you know, and I, I was, um, I was actually teaching class. I came in from teaching class, and there on my whiteboard in my in my office was, being to see you, Mick and Vic. <laughs> yes. So that's um, how I actually sort of broke through to to meet with. with chance I mean apart from the the interview process so uh, you know he's starting and um, he I think comes in in June or something like that and I go off to do field work in Scotland and <clears throat> I get a message from Mary Nell who's still the Chancellor's mm -hmm. <laughs> administrative assistant saying um, he would like to see you on X I thought, okay, good. So I think it was about four o'clock on, let's say, a Tuesday afternoon. Well, that was one day after I was due back from Scotland. Well, guess what happens? The plane gets delayed, and so I'm a day late. So I kind of get off the plane, we manage to, I get home, and I race in in my car, and basically turn up at four o'clock to see the chancellor. And he says, um, I want you to run a planning um, exercise for me. I want you um, to be in charge of a planning exercise about where this university should go next. <laughs> and you know, when you've got jet lag and you're sort of, oh yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> like, you know, I, I still don't know whether I should have kicked myself in the side of the head doing it. But I, I said, yes, I'll do that. And so we started it off, and to begin with, it was just a planning exercise. 
And there was myself and someone called Leo Munson, who's also famous at TCU and has just retired. And we, he put us in charge. And, you know, the cabinet and deans, oh, they didn't want anything to do with this. You know, no, 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 no. Um, we've got a faculty member here and Leo Munson, who was, a, I think, an associate provost or not very high on the pecking order. And then they realized that Victor was absolutely serious and was hiring consultants, getting a lot of money. And all of a sudden, they became essential to the process. We have to be on the committees. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so that's how they got involved. And that, we looked for a name for it. And eventually, um, I forgot which hotel we were in, but we're having dinner and with the consultants. And suddenly, the, the phrase vision in action came into the conversation. Mm -hmm. I still don't know who came up with it, but we, we came through a vision in action. Okay. And that became the title for the planning process, which was pretty comprehensive. Everyone was involved in it. Um, town hall meetings, all that sort of thing. And um, we produced this report with recommendations, um, you know, generous, general growth in the, in the student population, um, aspirations in terms of new buildings, new thrusts, and all, you know, new directions to grow. And, um, at that time, John Roach was chairman of the board, and he came to me when he'd heard my report and said, basically, no, um, we need to give you some money to do this. And so he gave us um, $2.5 million a year to start energizing the university in its academic sense. Yeah. And we were able to use that money, and it still exists. It's not now $2.5 million because... Um, Brian Gutierrez, who's the CFO now, is his cheapskate. You know, he just cut me down to a million a year. So, uh. <laughs> but in the meantime, before John Roach spoke to me, um, Bill Kaler, who was the previous provost, had said that he would stay on for one year so that Bushini would have a seasoned, knowledgeable provost who knew TCU. And then he was going. So there was a search going on for provost and it was indicated to me that I should put my hat in the ring, so I did. And, um, you know, went through the usual endless um, roller coaster of um, meeting people and committees and all the rest of it. And in the end, um, Chancellor chose me. Yeah, so that was, that was quite good. <laughs> it was an interesting process. Um, I had to get to know the deans better than I did. And, um, the then deans, I don't think, were very happy with a, a trumped-up faculty member as their leader. Um, but they got used to it. <laughs> and so then I carried on. So what would you say were some of the biggest accomplishments during your time as provost? Um, I don't know whether they, they should be regarded as accomplishments, but basically what I try to do is to engender... Um, a spirit of high morale on campus. You know, listen to people, advise people, act when I can act, and sometimes the limitations are, no, I just haven't got the money. You know, it's just mm -hmm. a lot of things like that. But just make sure the faculty felt they were being listened to and to be an advocate for faculty, um, not an advocate for the administration. And so I... Um, I've attempted to do that, and I think that's been reasonably successful. 
I mean, one of the big thrills for me was last year when the Senate um, made me the very first ever emeritus senator, you know, which I thought was, mm -hmm. I was, I was proud of that, you know, because I'd walked the walk with them and t not just talk the talk, but walk the walk with them um, to give them a voice of, of importance on the campus because one of the things that's always worried me is the, um, the worry that the um, university just becomes a corporate entity. It's not, it should never be regarded as a corporate entity. It's something vastly more important than that. Um, it's a place where minds can get together, learn and conspire. And um, protecting that, I always thought was a very major task. Uh, another thing um, which I tried to do was to um, make sure that the quality of students improved. Not that people in the 1980s were bad or anything like that. It's, it's just that basically, you know, if we're to win, by winning I mean if we are to be known nationally as a university, we have to attract students from all over the nation and those students have to have an academic pedigree that um, makes people realize, yeah, this is a good place to be. We are making a difference. So um, that's that's something that clearly has happened. I don't, I don't claim credit for this stuff. I mean, it just mm -hmm. happened, and I was behind it, saying yes, do this. Talking to the, um, the enrollment folk, you know, the dean of admissions, people like that, to make sure that they were sticking online. Yeah, we have to increase the quality all the time, and you can check that out. It's, it's happened. Mm -hmm. Of course, along the way, there have been failures. I mean, I always thought there should be equal number of men and women in the undergraduate body. I failed absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, um, it's been 60-40 or 3-2 to two, as the case mm -hmm. may be um, for at least the last 50 years mm -hmm. and then we haven't got records beyond before that. And it, and it comes out of the fact that we've always been um, a co-ed school. Mm -hmm. We were founded in that way. Um, I, it, we used to be an outlier you know, with our 60% female. Now we're just in the middle of the bunch because across the nation mm -hmm. the rest of the nation is catching up to TCU and so you get more and more 60% females at the universities because the ladies are taking advantage of the opportunities and the men for reasons which have to be sociological and have to be quite profound are not doing that mm. um, I also of course got involved with um, improving the facilities of the campus and one of the great things that happened actually in Ferrari's time when I was chair of the Senate is that they, they came up with this notion of what we call the reshoring money. And um, that's to say three to five million dollars a year to be used selectively around the educational part of the campus to improve the facilities. And it's interesting how that came to be. There was a particularly gifted member of, of the student body called Sarah Donaldson. And she um, was convinced that our facilities were not good. And so she took a lot of photographs, um, especially in Winton Scott, because that's where she was a, a, an undergraduate, of le roofs that leaked, of facilities which were 30 years out of date maybe, and then she compared that with some of the local high schools, which had far better labs 
and roofs that didn't leak. Mm-hmm. And um, she was on, on Student Government Association. She went along with this notebook folder of photographs and showed them to the trustees. And that got action. Um, the lesson I learned from it is that students have got a lot of power if they learn how to use it. And she showed that. Because mm-hmm. that reshoring money, which we still have, um, has done brilliant things on this campus. It obviously improved Winton Scott, which is the very first one that had to be done. You know. um, but after that, it's, we've gone, I've been able to go systematically around the campus, eradicating second-rate facilities. Mm-hmm. And it's still going. Um, I think we will probably be, um, be going into Ed Landreth, which is probably the last bastion of um, ugliness. It's not really ugly, but it, it needs to be upgraded. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we can do that with that money. Um, so that um, faculty have got offices and labs of which they can be proud, and, and students have got facilities which will attract them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because some. Um, Clearly, in all the years I've been um, provost, we've been following Chancellor Bashini's dictate, which is basically first impressions count. So if you walk on this campus and compare the journey when I came in 1986 to the journey today, the, it's like chalk and cheese. I mean, they're in no way comparable. Mm-hmm. The campus now is a very attractive, clean place. Um, I've always been impressed by the fact that the Chancellor will personally pick up trash when he sees it they can find a dumpster for it mm-hmm. um, and I think it, it works because parents and students who come on the campus say wow this is neat and tidy and look these are new buildings and it's prosperous so this is a good place to come mm-hmm. and that tactic it's a strategy more than a tactic has worked quite brilliantly and as you go into the, the next stage of your life what is the the legacy that you want the TCU community to remember you by, or when mm. they think of Noel Donovan, what is it that they want to, what should come uh, to their mind? I don't actually think too much about those sort of things. I mean, um, I've still got a geological legacy because I'm going back to the faculty. I'm taking a year off and then going back to the faculty. And I've got a lot of work to do there. I've got 15 papers I counted the other night that I want to write. <laughs> um, but, um, uh, Basically, I tried, you know, put it on my tombstone, he tried. <laughs> <laughs> Whether I've been successful or not, I don't know. I mean, it's, just, uh, it's difficult to say. I mean, I, I have some, I hear from a lot of students, faculty, parents, words of great gratitude. I wonder, though, sometimes about the ones I don't hear from. What sort of experience did they have? And maybe it wasn't as good as it should have been. Mm -hmm. You know, at the moment I'm dealing with students who are very unhappy because it's graduation time and they've not done too well. And uh, (laughs) what am I going to do about it? Well, well, (laughs) I'm not sure what I can do about it because I can't change your grade. Um, But on the whole, I think it's, um, one measure of success, one it might be happy alumni, people who said, "Yeah, we really had a good time at TCU. It was great." Um, you know, we want to maintain contacts with the with the university, and most importantly, we got a damn good education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And finally, what is the impression or the legacy of TCU that's been left 
that you have of TCU? What do I think of TCU? Well, um, my first thought would be to thank the Moncrief family, you know, and thank whoever talked to the Moncrief family to get them to endow a chair, because that, that, that chair, that one particular gift, dramatically transformed um, four lives, myself, my wife, and my children. Um, and on a personal level too, I mean, both my children went to TCU, which is another thing I couldn't have afforded unless there'd been very generous policies towards offspring's dependents, which of course you, you're familiar with. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's grown in stature. I think um, it offers a very good undergraduate education. I think our students um, can take their place with other students from other universities, maybe universities with a more prestigious name than ours. Because I think we have a faculty here who um, have managed to meld the idea that teaching is a profession, but is also an art and a science. And a lot of people on this campus who teach do it very, very well. Um, just talking to other people from other universities, I realize how fortunate we are. Um, and that's, so that'll be one memory I'll take with me as a, a very good place for, for education. We're light, on, we're light on graduate students, but our undergraduates, you can stack them up against anybody. You know? And um, we add something to them, I think. Now, if, you, if you go to the Ivy League schools, they have um, students who are very, very bright and probably don't really need to go to university that <laughs> bright. But what, what I think we have managed to do is to take B students and turn them into A students, C students and turn them into B students. So we, we are definitely an add-on for them and I think that's something we should be proud of as a community and it's something I'll remember is the um, passion for teaching that I, I've seen at this place. There's also some wondrous research and creative activity as well, but it's that, it's that passion for research to really take the next generation of people, push them forward. Um, I, th I think I'm quoted somewhere as saying it's not, just, um, it's not just passing on the torch, it's lighting the bloody thing that matters. Uh, and mm -hmm. um, hopefully that, uh, that's what happened. There's something I remember about TCU. The athletic stuff. <laughs> It passes me by. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very glad when TCU wins. I'm very glad when TCU wins. But I, I never played, in, well, I did play golf and tennis, but I mean, in the other sports, I don't know. <laughs> so I have to learn these alien sports. <laughs> Football, I can get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basketball, don't get. Baseball, <laughs> definitely don't get. So. <laughs> Yeah. But I'm glad, we're, I'm glad we've done well. And I mean, you know, the, the policy of the university is, is um, on a rising tide, all ships float upwards. Mm -hmm. And another thing that, that um, Victor, and I don't think it was just Victor, I think it was before this, we realized, you know, that um, great athletics does have a positive impact on attracting students so we can have great academics. You know, and from that we can have great student life because everyone's excited mm -hmm. by the performance of the university, whether it's academic or athletic, mm -hmm. we're doing good stuff. So I leave, I leave the place um, with a very positive outlook.
Mm -hmm. And I think my my successor um, shows all the signs of being of getting the message, understanding what TC was all about, and she'll have the pleasure, I hope, of, of taking it to another level. Well, helping to take it. <laughs> Provosts don't have that much power, um, but she will be able to help to lead it to a, to another level. Thank you to KTCU and co-manager Jeff Craig for their editing of this episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Frog for Life podcast. If you or a friend or family member would like to share your story of your life since graduation, please contact us on social media or leave us a comment on our SoundCloud channel. We look forward to sharing the next story of how horn frogs are changing the world.